You're watching Global Trade This Week with Pete Mento and Doug Draper. Hello, everyone. Here is another edition of Global Trade This Week. Uh, we kind of lost track of where Pete is this week. I'm not sure what airline or air or town he is in. So we decided to uh, bring in the man about town. Uh, Keenan is going to join us in today. So Keenan, how you doing? Hello, I'm doing great. Um, excited that we're hitting fall weather now. It's a little bit cooler during the day, a lot cooler at night. Yeah. Um, yeah so I'm enjoying the changing of the seasons. Yeah. Yeah, it is good. You know, it's uh, good sleeping weather, as they say. Windows yes. open at night. And um, and I heard, and this is more for folks here in Colorado, is that because we had such a wet summer at the at the start and temperatures have been relatively mellow, that the uh, the color changes up in the mountains are going to be spectacular this year. All right. All right. I'm into it. Yeah. Leaves are always pretty. And I was hoping you were going to go somewhere about uh, it being a great year for skiing. Um, oh. Somehow that wet summer would translate into a lot of precipitation in the winter. Um, yeah. Hopefully that's the case. Yeah. Well, we have plenty of time. You're, you're on a split board and I'm on skis. So there'll be plenty of uh, uh, plenty of discussions on on, uh, on winter sports for sure. So. That's right. right. Conditioning season is well underway. I don't know if you've begun your formal training, but you got to make the most of it. <laughs> no formal training. If uh, drinking beer and eating Cheetos is part of the formal training, then I'm all in. I've been doing there that for go. a while. You're carb loading. Exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, hey, man, let's get this thing started. Um, I think uh, we'll have you go first because I know your topics. We got four good topics, right? And uh, we'll just kick it off with you. Sounds good. So topic number one here I thought was interesting. Mexico remains the top U.S. trade partner in July. So um, for seven of the past eight months, Mexico has ranked number one for U.S. trading partners. Now, this has happened before, um, but pretty consistently for a long time, it's been Canada from the 70s going on up until modern times. And then um, you know, in 2015, for a few years, it was China, number one, and then Canada took it back. But now it seems like Mexico's making a really big play for it. And um, a lot of the reasoning, both um, according to reporting I'm seeing from freight waves and others, and also from our experience with Cap Logistics, there is now a greater and greater trend of nearshoring and doing manufacturing in Mexico. This has been a topic I've been hearing about for a long time. But now it's gaining steam to the point where it's pushing Mexico above Canada as the U.S. Uh, trading partner of choice, um, mm -hmm. which is pretty, pretty big. We're seeing um, a lot more manufacturing going on in there. Some of it's even Chinese companies just looking to either get around uh, certain trade restrictions or just get closer to limit um, expensive logistics uh, situations like we saw towards the beginning of the pandemic when all of a sudden um, – container rates were very pricey going to and from China. So they're looking to uh, get a little closer to their largest market um, and manufacture. But a lot of it's not Chinese. It's just manufacturers from all over the place, whether you're a Swedish manufacturer or a German manufacturer. Um, I know of some German manufacturers that are building some facilities and capacities down in Mexico so that they can produce and then sell to the ultimate market um, here in the U.S. So it's interesting. A lot of these things don't change from time to time. It's, oh, yeah, China is our number one trading partner, or it's Canada. But 
now it's Mexico. And so it's one of those things where it makes me want to brush off my Duolingo. Fortunately at CAF, we do have great people who speak Spanish. I am not one of those people. Um, it's been since sixth grade. So I really need to, to dust off that language. If we're going to be doing a lot of trade back and forth, what are your first, uh, uh, impressions or have you been seeing any of this trend leading up to Mexico being our number one trade partner? Yeah. 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 I saw that there was, I think it was a freight razor freight waves article that you and I mm -hmm. both, both caught. So the first thing that comes to mind is when you said, um, ocean freight raises, uh, ocean freight was rising. Uh, I think you needed to put an F bomb in front of that statement, which would, um, have the emotion of how people dealt with, uh, insanely expensive ocean freight. So I just wanted to say that for starters. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't a little bit, it was an order of magnitude from yes. 3000 to 30,000. It was, it was a big increase. <laughs> it's just, humble. I mean, that's a whole nother you know, podcast, but it's unbelievable whenever you just said that number. I mean, you never would have thought of that. So the other piece that caught my attention is that, um, you know, near shoring and uh, right shoring, friend shoring is a term that I've heard mm -hmm. recently. Mm -hmm. It's been talked about for a long time. And it's always, you know, people have hyped the benefits of it. And I think another um, uh, accelerator of COVID, right, um, was to push that and make some of those uh uh, uh, forecasts true. And we're seeing that now, right? Now, is there one gigantic industry that has just popped immediately that says that's the reason why? No. But, um, you know, I think we're starting to see it. And the, 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 the fruits of it, if that's the right word to use, I think, is that sustainable? Is there just a blip there? Or are we going to continue to see uh, Mexico uh, right at the top uh, for U.S. trade partners or not? So, Number one, I'm glad um, that the talk is now statistically being shown. Um, mm -hmm. It doesn't seem like there's one juggernaut piece of business that has caused that, which to me is good. That means all of these, you know, small, quote unquote, and medium sized companies that are are moving is pushing the envelope. Right. So so that's pretty cool. And it'll be interesting to see what happens in, in the near term. It's trending for the year. We'll see what happens. We still got four more months left or three and a half months. So. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we do plenty of business with Canada. Um, but yeah, it has been increasing with Mexico and, and great points. I agree with you from what I've been observing. It's not one major country or one major industry. It is a lot of countries and it is a lot of industries increasing their manufacturing. And I wonder if similar to other trends that you've been covering on e-commerce, maybe there already was this trend. People had been talking about nearshoring and then COVID pandemic and pandemic policies and resulting situations kind of expedited that trend a little bit. So um, it will be interesting to see. I'm kind of thinking it might be more of a trend here to stay, but who knows? Canada might, might also um, get in there with some other um nearshoring manufacturing or other sorts of things to compete against because it is pretty close neck and neck with Canada and Mexico, but um, yeah. it'll be an interesting thing to keep watching. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Good, good topic. Good topic to kick us off. <laughs> so, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. So my topic, it wouldn't be relevant if we weren't talking about the year of labor, right? And as you know, last, I think it was Friday at noon or Friday at midnight, United, United Auto Workers uh, went on strike. And um, first glance, we're going to dive into that in a second. But the bottom line is the winner, in my opinion, of all of this craziness is our good friend Elon and Tesla, right? They're mm. just sitting back and watching uh, watching everything unfold. 
And so um, that, when I was thinking about that, it led me to do a little a little research. And these are numbers from the Wall Street Journal. Uh, Keenan, uh, Pete and I don't really reference our sources. We just kind of <laughs> throw stuff out there and people are like, what? Is that real? <laughs> so this is real on uh, Wall Street Journal. So the labor cost for Tesla averages out to $45 an hour. That's a loaded cost with the pennies and all that kind of stuff. Currently, United Auto Workers is $66 an hour. So just in the current state or previous in, um, or yeah, in the current state, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's $21 more expensive. If all of the uh, demands come through, um, it would push that hourly wage to $136 an hour, which is just unfathomable how that could happen. You talked about ocean freight rates going from three grand to 30. How can a business survive when their labor rates jump more than double 66 to 136? So it, it's nuts. The, the, the key things that jump out on, on this one is uh, a 32 hour work week, but get paid for 40, right? That's a huge one. A 36% wage increase. That that's another one, and then there's eliminating compensation tiers and restoring cost of living uh, increases, um, extending retirement and stuff. Those are all kind of manageable. But the two big ones is is working 32 hours and getting paid for 40, mm-hmm. um, and the other piece is you know the the, the, the wage increase. Uh, two comments on the fallout of this. Number one um, is there's only I guess three factories, three manufacturing places in Michigan, Missouri, and Ohio, one for each of the big three. Um, so it's not the whole uh, enchilada and it's not the whole, um, you know, all of the uh, auto workers. So it's just dabbling. And, and I've heard that that's the case because they are getting strike pay. Um, and if everybody went on strike, that um, the coffers would. Uh, not be able to sustain strike pay for everybody. So I think it's going to be little blips and figure out where the pain points are and, and go from there. Strike pay is only 500 bucks a week, which sounds good. The first, um, you know, couple of uh, the couple week or two, and then reality strikes in that food needs to be on the table and gas needs to be put in the truck. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see how that goes. But, and then the other piece, obviously this is logistics, supply chain and global trade is, um, what happens to the supply chain? I think if this thing calms down and gets resolved in 20 days or less, I don't think we're going to see that much of an impact beyond that. I, um, the things I've read is it it could start really impacting. And the final comment on this, Keenan, before I'll have you chime in on your thoughts, is that um, there's going to be panic buying. People aren't sure what's going to happen. And if you're on the fence to buy a, an automobile, you're going to do it now. Um, and that's also going to raise the already extremely high prices on pre-owned and used cars, right? So I think that that's what's going to impact the consumer out there is panic buying. Used cars are still going to continue to creep up. And I think we'll be cool um, just as the supply chain goes if this thing lasts less than 20 days. Beyond that, uh, that's a whole nother topic. So I, I don't know. What's your take on all this? As I'm not an expert in uh, labor law, or uh, I I guess we're in a lot of unprecedented situations anyway. So maybe Pete or others have had experience and can read what's going on. But ultimately, the companies can't handle not having workers, right? And there's no ready supply of robots that's going to replace everybody. So they're probably going to have to come to an agreement. Um, It's only going to get more and more painful as 
operate uh, production lines are down for longer and longer and longer. So uh, my amateur prediction would be that they will reach an agreement. I mean, it's already started to strike, so it's it's gone hot, so to speak, but they mm-hmm. will eventually get an agreement, whether it's fully what they're asking for or um, even more, who knows? Um, they probably will end up being paid more, just the kind of the trend we've been seeing um, lately with other uh, union actions, labor actions. And it's one of these things we might be seeing more and more of, you know, in big industries, there might be big uh, labor groups organized and negotiating, but ultimately the inflation that we've seen the last couple of years, since lots of new dollars have been created and or spent by the government since the pandemic and pandemic response, that inflation is working its way through the system. People have already been noticing eggs are more expensive and cars are more expensive and different things, but eventually they're going to have to ask for raises. They're going to have to ask for more money, especially when some of these corporations are looking at record profits. Right. And so um, we're probably going to be seeing more and more of these, probably some of them with organized labor and strikes. Some of them maybe just on the individual people will move if the company doesn't pay them more or some other um, company will offer more. Um, and, you know, it's interesting going into uh, potential recession the second half of this year, early next year. Maybe the United Auto Workers are doing it at the right time. Um, it could be a good time for them as opposed to six months earlier or six months later than what mm-hmm. it is right now. So uh, non-expert opinion, it seems like they've timed it pretty well. I think they're probably going to get what they're asking for. Yeah. Yeah, that'll be crazy. But you, you had a good point. It's like this wave from COVID, right? All of the, the labor issues this year have been uh, transportation related, right? And uh, I think we made mention, I don't know if it was before the show last week or not, but, you know, I've had people say, gosh, when COVID hit, you know, did you, how many days did you not work in the office? Or, you know, how did you do it? And I'm like, zero. I was like in the office the entire time practicing safe distancing. But like I said, you can't virtually ship a box, right? So you can't deliver a box without a truck and a driver and all these things. So even so, during the pandemic, all of these entities were still on the front line, and 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 now um, it's come to roost, if that's the right word. So it'll be interesting. Interesting for sure. And uh, just a funny aside, you had mentioned the Wall Street Journal. Um, you know, we we do often reference lots of different stories and things, but uh, there was one. Apparently, the Wall Street Journal wrote an article about Tesla being in talks with uh, some Middle Eastern companies about building an EV plant. And uh, Elon replied on Twitter, now X.com, that it's an utterly false story. So either Elon's lying and doesn't want the secret out for some reason, or the Wall Street Journal is just reporting on things they don't have. I've also been seeing some more uh, uh, mainstream news organizations kind of running out of actual stories that they're investigating. So then they just end up reporting on TikTok trends or Instagram trends. Um, yeah, maybe I'll, I'll just use that. I didn't come up with a halftime ahead of time, so I'll save that for my halftime. Um. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. Well, as you know, Keenan, because we call you out multiple times uh, during our show that halftime is brought to you by Cap Logistics. Keenan is the man, the myth, the legend. He and his company uh, enable uh, Pete and I to have this platform to talk to you about our our comments and criticisms in our industry. So, um, uh, Keenan, I always say namaste on on my post. So, so there you go. And we uh, thank Cap uh, Logistics for for having it. So, um, all right, man, you go first on the halftime. I'm cool with that. 
Let's do it. Uh, yeah. So um, this week, the Wall Street Journal and others, I'm sure, too, um, uh, NBC, I think, saw covering it. Uh, we're talking about a trend. Not sure where it started. TikTok, Instagram, one of those things I don't use regularly um, of women finding out that their husbands, boyfriends, brothers, partners, whatever, dads, anything, cousins, um, women have been surprised to find out that men, um, a lot of men anyway, think about the Roman Empire on a fairly frequently basis. So the women are incredulous. They film and ask their, their partner, brother, whatever. And then like, I don't know, every day, every other day, why? And then the women are shocked that that's that often. So I guess my question to you is how often do you think about the Roman empire? <laughs> yeah. Um, I would say very infrequently. <laughs> okay. Remember, <laughs> you know, um, yeah, I don't know. My birthday is on the Ides of March, so every once right. in a while, I'll, I'll at drop at least a, every year. <laughs> yeah, I'll drop an eight uh, et tu brute. Yeah, um, <laughs> and then if I'm ever at a party and there's a t bunch of cars out front, I pretty much say it looks like everybody came Roman style, right, with their chariots. Uh, one, one per. So that's like twice a year because I don't go to very many parties, and my birthday happens <laughs> once a year. So I would say twice a year is when I think about it. I'm not what sure if I'm quite on the trend of every single day. That could be possible, but pretty close. I mean, it comes up. There's memes that involve the Roman Empire. Uh, there's lots of obviously lots of comparisons between politics. Everyone looks back at what happened with the, the Roman Empire. I mean, a lot of our U.S. political institutions are kind of modeled after the Roman Empire and how they did their architecture and how they did their coins and how they did this and that um, sort of deal republic type of things. Um, so there's that. Um, I think might have been a topic on global trade earlier this year. There was some new research on how Romans did their concrete in a way that was actually self-fixing. So that might have been a recent real deep Roman dive as uh, there are currently lessons we can learn from what they knew a long time ago of how to make concrete self-heal, as in it'll crack. The rain comes down, the rain dissolves this calcium carbonate and fills in the cracks before they can expand any larger, which is more advanced than the concrete technology we have today. Um, so, yeah, I'm not quite sure if I've reflected enough to know how often, but um, I'm somewhere less than every single day, but definitely more than twice a year. I'm probably on <laughs> five out of seven days a week. <laughs> wow. Are you serious? It comes up all the time. I don't know. <laughs> wow. Wow. All right. Well, that's an interesting. We'll have to pose uh, uh, that question to our other co-host uh, next Absolutely. time. Absolutely. Next time. Cool. All right. Well, this one is for all. Every, well, I was about to say everybody in Colorado, but it's making national news for sure. Prime time. Prime time in Boulder, Colorado and Deion Sanders, um, uh, you know, really surprising everybody with uh, what University of Colorado is doing. And I'm not going to get into all that. This isn't a football uh, discussion. But the thing that caught my attention is, and if you're not from Colorado, uh, one thing about this team is they have a swagger, right? And probably some people think it's a little over the top. If you saw the CSU football game, I think there was like 15 personal foul penalties where, I don't know, people are just got this swagger a little bit, uh, a little bit in your face. Between that mentality the uh, transfer portal, the consolidation of the big five conferences and the NIL name image likeness. I think 
Deion Sanders in prime time is kind of accelerating, and I used that term earlier, what uh, NCAA athletics is going to look like in the future, right? There's going to be swagger. Guys are going to be making money. I think um, Deion Sanders' son, uh, Shadir, is you know driving like a $200,000 Maybach uh, Mercedes, right? And everybody's like, okay, that's cool. Five years ago, you know, that'd be, he'd be suspended. So, um, and even, you know, my daughter's a rower at University of Kansas, and she even has a a group, the university supports the college kids on all uh, sports on how to present yourself uh, to promote NIL. So it's almost like she has a, a, an agent, if you will, and the university is making sure they go about it the right way. So they're talking to them about, um, uh, I think there's like this kind of Facebook page that uh, that you can set up for as an athlete uh, to promote your your NIL status and things you could bring to the table. So anyway, the, the, the halftime and my whole point on this one is I think what we're seeing in Boulder, Colorado and the craziness, the excitement uh, around primetime is just uh, a precursor of what modern day NCAA football is going to look like. Very interesting. Yeah, I know there have been major changes on the rules there. I don't actively watch sports, so I haven't been observing it. Um, So my baseline is still set where college athletes are not driving around multiple hundred thousand dollar cars because that is not allowed. But maybe that is allowed now and it's a different sort of world. Um, I think I had a friend go to uh, the most recent game up in Boulder. We'll have to ask him his experience and what has changed because it probably has changed a lot in the last few years that I have not seen. Yeah, it's crazy. The sunglasses that he wears mm-hmm. the day before the CSU game last Friday, they sold 1.5 million pair who were pre, you know, they didn't have on the company. I forget what the company's name. It's like uh, Peppers or something like that. But I mean, they're crushing it. Right. And so wow. all this money that's coming around um, NCAA sports that's maybe already been there or always been there that's now coming to the surface. Um, it'll be interesting to see what transpires in the next years oh. yeah i mean just kind of wrapping that up um it hasn't even been that long that in the professional world investors and producers have been treating sports football primarily but other sports as well as entertainment franchises for a while mm-hmm. it was like a whole different sort of thing but um i'm blanking on the guy's name it might have been like the morning star founder there's a billionaire that i think he started with like philadelphia or something but like paid a lot large sum of money to buy the team but then treating it more as like hey we have a hit movie we have a hit television series that people will be coming every week to watch we know what that's worth and to your point if people are paying attention to star athletes and they're making recommendations of these are the sunglasses i wear use code xyz to get a discount um those types of influencer marketing campaigns can be highly effective. And so mm-hmm. if there's a company that sells glasses or any other thing, they will probably try to work with these athletes to reach that audience. So uh, it's connecting buyers and sellers in ways that we haven't seen in the past and it's still relatively new with the professional sports and Disney getting on board with uh, ESPN acquisition. And um, what we've seen there, we're probably going to see that more of that process filter down now that the rules have changed in order to um, help student athletes be compensated. Cause I mean, the stuff was happening anyway, it was just under the table. And so yeah. now, now hopefully it's a little more above board. People get to see what the rules are and play fair. Yeah. 
Yeah, good. Very interesting. All right, so, <clears throat> I'm making a U-turn here, <clears throat> excuse me, and we're going to get back on track with global yeah. trade this week. So um, I think you started with your first topic, so uh, I'll throw the ball back in your court. What you got for topic number two? Yeah, topic number two is on diesel prices. Um, you know, I've already been seeing recently sources like Freight Waves have been talking about experts predicting there could be higher diesel prices this winter, this fall, up to $5 per gallon, um, which is you know, over a dollar where we are right now. Um, but then I saw another story this morning about oil hitting a new record high um, as Azerbaijan is contemplating military action. Apparently, there's some tensions between Azerbaijan and some of the Armenian population. They border Armenia, and I guess there's some Armenian people who live in a region. I'm yeah. not sure of the details, but apparently there's been some terrorist activities or threats or tensions, and now anti-terroristic activities and tensions. And this is only further increasing speculation that there may be a tightening of supply. There's already OPEC and limitations and quotas being controlled and keeping prices at a certain area. You have that and then add on some unexpected military conflicts like a new uh, terror war, war on terror type of situation. Um, it's uh, flirting with a $100 barrel again. Uh, we're sitting at 95 last I saw mm -hmm. here, uh, WTI crude. So this sort of stuff uh, has impacts um, on transportation, obviously, and all the industries that we serve. So wanted to see if uh, you had been hearing about this uh, potential $5 diesel price for a while now, or if you had heard of uh, the Azerbaijani um, anti-terrorist activities, but that seems to be what investors are currently fearing and are bidding up prices of oil right now. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard a little bit about it. I I've never heard um, um, pegging a number to the fuel, like you said, five bucks um, for diesel. I've not heard that, but I have slowly watched the, uh, you know, the cost uh, per barrel jumping up and, you know, it makes national news and everything's crazy when it bumps over a hundred and, uh, and we're right there. So the, the, the two comments on that, and then, um, and then we'll, we'll, we'll move on. But the first one is that logistics companies made a very strategic play. It could have been 25 years ago to separate the cost of the activity of delivery and the cost of freight, or excuse me, the cost of fuel, right? Um, when I started my career at Airborne Express, um, and if you're over about 45, I'm sure you've heard of that company. If not, uh, they were acquired by DHL years ago. But when I was at Airborne, it was just a flat rate, right? 10 bucks to get you here or there. And then by separating the fuel and, and the rate for the actual work, I think has helped justify to carriers, hey, this piece is not us. We're not trying to make any extra money. This is just something that we need to pass along. So I think um, the logistics industry in whole has done a great job um, separating those to, to help um, explain what's going on and why the rates are what they are. And the other piece, uh, uh, Akinan, is that, and I made a reference to this year, I don't know, maybe a year ago, that you're going to get out of your car. You're going to look at it and say, oh, my God, you may use other uh, expletives than that. I can't believe fuel is five dollars. This sucks. And then you start pumping your gas and you listen to the Katy Perry song on the radio and you think about the Coke you got to go and buy. And then you fill up your tank and that's just part of life and you move on. So I don't know at what breaking point it's going to be where people are going to change buying habits. But um 
Transportation, our industry, they've separated the two, which has put them in a good position justifying and explaining the fluctuations of fuel. And then the bottom line is, you know, if I want the pillowcase that I want and I got to pay an extra 50 cents because of fuel, I'm going to pay it, right? I mean, that's just the way it is and how dominant fuel is in our industry. So those are the two things that I have comments on. Yeah, great points. And with the spike of cost of transportation over the last couple of years, I imagine many businesses that had as a core part of their business model, super low uh, international or U.S. domestic freight um, already kind of had to deal with that uh, issue of what are we going to do? If Can we pass along our prices? And in many cases, if they could, they would. And if they couldn't, they can't. And then mm -hmm. we're out. So that'll be a good question. I'm not expecting a bunch of businesses to go out because freight becomes more expensive. If if diesel goes to $5 a gallon, those companies have probably already been purged um, the last couple of years as costs have gone up, or they've figured out another solution near shoring or buying a domestic source or whatever the case may be. Um, yeah. yeah, something to keep an eye on that trend is going that way. And um, any conflicts can end up uh, increasing that um, kind of yeah. as an aside, not quite a halftime, but as an aside, did you see that story about the the U.S. military jet that was flying without a pilot for a while. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was about to bring that one up. I saw. It. I mean, you're talking about the one that uh, the pilot ejected, ejected and then yeah. literally they couldn't find the jet. Yeah, don't know all the details. Don't know what's like disclosed or still confidential. But for whatever reason, they had ejected and the the jet still flew. It was still flying in autopilot zombie mode. But it has uh, apparently been found. I think it went down somewhere in South Carolina. So yeah. at least it didn't end up in uh, any foreign country's hands. But um, yeah, wondered. Uh, I didn't. It was just going to keep going until they ran out of fuel, I guess. I, I, I don't know. It's a crazy situation. Was not expecting to see that news story this week. Yeah, yeah. How do you lose a $500 million jet? Or, right. you know, I don't know if that's the price. It you was know, only 280. Only 280 million. I mean, are you kidding me? That's insane. <laughs> I don't even know. It's just baffling to me. You think of all the good, amazing technology that's out there, and yet a uh, quarter of a billion dollar plane just goes missing. It's crazy crazy so I'll, I'll wrap it up here with this, this this one's pretty quick but i saw this one and um i was like okay is this the final straw where amazon is really a logistics company or are they an online retailer or did they start as an online retailer and just because of their service offerings have morphed in so the reason that caught my attention is that uh, amazon's come out with a service called supply chain by amazon and for lack of a better term, it's a freight forwarding division. So now they're saying, hey, we can pick your widget up in China and we can manage the freight and the transportation um, uh, over to the U.S., right? So that's a new, uh, uh, a new service offering. They also have a program that's called Partner Carrier Program, or PCP, where they can handle the domestic trucking to D.C.'s um, that you need to ship to, and they do not have to be Amazon DCs. So that's essentially a domestic truck, truck brokering operation. And then they have what's called AWD, which is Amazon Warehouse Distribution, where they say, hey, we'll go ahead and warehouse your product for you. Don't worry about it. Uh, that's essentially a 3PL warehousing company, right? Um, and then I heard that they're coming out with kind of, they're gonna overlay all that with machine learning to try to figure out and direct efficiencies. So they'll be able to say, 
here's where we're going to import this based on buying uh, habits. And so this vessel of this widget needs to go through the Panama Canal and get on an, an East Coast distribution center. So, um, you know, pick up inventory from manufacturers all over the world. They can ship it across the borders. They handle customs clearances, the domestic transportation. They manage your inventory, when to replenish it. They can handle final mile. Um, it, it's just, it's crazy that they are officially becoming a logistics company and not an on time, uh, online retailer. So that's it. A freight forward, a truck broker, a warehousing, um, and then overlaying it with technology to make that whole process efficient. So it's official. Amazon is a logistics company. Wow. Quite a move. I uh, don't follow Amazon super closely, but just in learning from you and Pete over the last several weeks, months, I had heard that you know, they'd made big moves acquiring assets and then they kind of pulled back a little bit. So they like grow and expand and then pull back and keep just the parts that are working well for them in Amazon's supply chain needs. But now it seems like they're growing again, but then not just serving Amazon. I mean, maybe Amazon will get special treatments and rates or just better uh, network availability of assets, um, movable or warehousing if they're also serving other companies. It's an interesting move. They're actually becoming a logistics company. Very interesting. Yeah. So they'll take a little bit of piece of the pie on the freight. They'll take a piece of the pie on the warehousing. They'll take a piece of pie of the final mile delivery. And oh yeah, we'll make our money because we're providing the platform for you to sell it in the first place. So, you know, it kind of, kind of makes sense. And they've had a pretty phenomenal run at, at all the logistics things they've touched. So it'll be interesting mm -hmm. to see what happens with their freight forwarding entree. So definitely a space to watch, you know, they've had some uh, notable big failures of investments. Like, do you remember like some of the fire stuff? I can't remember. I think they kept some of the brands, but they tried to make a fire phone and stuff and that never quite worked out. So they make big experiments, but I think something that Amazon does well compared to some other big tech companies is they'll try experiments, but then they'll see if they're working or not. Oh, no one wants an Amazon fire phone. Okay. We ax that we move on memory hole that people won't remember i did somehow but most people won't remember amazon even tried and failed to do a, a smartphone um but for the ones that do work out they just become a new thing oh yeah amazon of course they have amazon web services and now that's making a good chunk of their profit um so this is something similar where amazon needed amazon web services so they started doing it for themselves then uh became the dominant leader for everyone else needing that type of web services um Amazon needed physical logistics, and now they're going to be offering it to other people as well. So very interesting to watch. Yeah. Vertically integrated and owning the rails, right? We've talked about that in the past. So mm -hmm. absolutely. But you know what is also interesting, Keenan, is this show. And it comes <laughs> to our listeners every single week. It doesn't matter who's on the other side of the camera. Sometimes you fill in for me. Sometimes you fill in for Pete. Sometimes Pete is right there in front of our faces. So, um, we want to thank everybody for, for joining us this week. Keenan, I can't thank you enough for filling in. Awesome topics. I think we had a good good dialogue on all of them. So, um, And then, of course, I want to thank our listeners for joining us. And uh, we look forward to seeing you next week on another edition of Global Trade This Week. All right, Keenan, thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thank you. Have a great week, everybody. All right. See you guys.